I was reading uh, this morning a little uh, writing about Easter from Kate Bowler, who is a professor and theologian and uh, author. She said, we are an Easter people living in the story that started under the bright stars in a stable at Bethlehem, moved into the darkness that shrouded Christ on the cross, and now stands breathless before the biggest occasion to crash into our history. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, hallelujah. I invite you to bow with me in prayer. God of life, God of power, God of love, we thank you this morning for the empty tomb. We thank you for Jesus Christ, risen and alive. Thank you that death does not have the final word ever. And thank you that every power that ever dared to war against you has been brought to nothing. We pray today, Lord, for all who find it difficult to believe in resurrection this Easter morning those caught in financial hardship or webs of addiction, those who are struggling with sickness or weighed down with depression, those who have a blurred image of you today because of pain in their lives. We pray that you would give your hope to them, surprise them, Lord, with your presence, just as you did for those who were grieving on that first Easter morning. We know that there's devastation in all sorts of corners of our world today. God of hope, we pray that even though the evil has created pain and grief, we do ask that the evil attacks against people would not create hatred. In the midst of wars and battles and even division and personal relationships, may your resurrection power, Lord, be at work, healing, restoring, we pray today for the city of Harrisburg and for the many communities surrounding it. Show us, Lord, places where we can work for peace, where we can bring your love, where we can shine your light, reaching out to those who may be desperate and hurting. And we pray for those serving you around the world today. Increase their vision for bringing new life to those living in darkness. Give them hope and joy and fruit, Lord, as they serve. We pray, Lord, for a blessing today on our children and our youth. We thank you for them. Thank you for the blessing that they are to our church family. And may you bless them. May you grow in them. May they experience today your risen power. Be with us, Lord, today as we uh, some of us meet with family. Some of us spend a quiet day. And in everything that we do, everything that we say, we want to give glory to Jesus. We thank you that there's new life bursting forth, even where it seems like there's only death. Thank you that this new life surprises us with hope and joy. We're grateful beyond words for the new life that you've given to each of us. And so we open our hearts to you anew today. Help us to grow even more firmly rooted in you, our risen Lord. Hallelujah. We praise you. We love you. Amen.
before our worship dancers start, I just want to say thank you to Tessa Myers. Um, and I should have said first service or earlier, not first service, this is first service, to Lori. Thank you to Lori because she does those cards for the, the bells and it, they're, it's not easy. Uh, but Tessa, this is her first time leading worship dance and sadly it's her last time leading worship dance because they're moving away. But we do have another worship dance director in the wings, so we're going to keep our worship dance going, and it is for children and youth, so think about it. You'll, you'll see more information in a couple weeks. But thank you to Tessa, and these girls are doing a great job.
kids and youth are dismissed. I was back there or up here fretting for Pastor Linda because she had to follow the bell choir. And I got to follow the dancers, but we'll try our best. Good morning, everyone. Christ is risen. Uh, y'all still in the grave. Christ is risen. Uh, one of the joys of Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is we gather to worship together. Um, it's, a, it's a blessing. I think it's something that maybe the pandemic has reminded us of the joy of actually being together. Uh, we live in a society and culture of pendulum swings, right? Like most of us don't do nuance or sit in the middle. We're either here or there. And I think for a lot of us, we've been in this state of, you know, not that we don't need church, but we say church is not a building. Church is not a building. But it's good to be in the building. Amen. It's good to be with each other, amen? And whether you're worshiping online or worshiping with us, it's, it's good to be the family of God together. I think this is something we miss from the early church. You know, the early church gathered because in the power of the body, right? They knew church wasn't a building, but they also knew that when I gather with the people of God, where I feel doubt, their faith makes me strong. Where I feel weak, the body makes me strong. Where I feel apart from God, I look at my sister, I look at my brother, and the faith in their eyes and the strength of their faith makes me strong. And I think we've lost a little bit of that, and I think it's not just good to be together, but it's good to be together. Christ is risen. I think y'all still in the tomb. We'll work on it. As I was preparing for this morning, I was um, struck by this quote by our sister and Pastor Oshita Moore. She says this, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. I can't contain my joy today, of all days today, Resurrection Sunday, our hope in Christ realized. When Jesus rose from the grave, he more than thumbed his nose at metaphysics or performed another miracle, he brought shalom. Death, suffering, injustice, violence, oppression, all come under this rule because our God overcame. His life was vindicated, and his self-giving example of love upheld when he rose from the grave. This is what we gather to celebrate as one united by the Spirit, as one family, as one kin, as God's family. And his family were blessed not just to be in person or watching online from, from places in Harrisburg or as far as Africa this morning, but we're united as God's family across centuries as well, across saints that have come before and we look forward to the ones who will join us in the future. We come across world and across continents and across traditions. We come even united as this family to proclaim simply, Christ is risen. Christ is I, I think y'all still on Holy Saturday, but it's all right. As we go and think about what does this Resurrection Sunday mean to us, my first question, maybe the question I want you to hold on to this morning is simply, what does resurrection mean to you? Today, where you are, what does resurrection mean to you? Another uh, 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 pastor and speaker and theologian, Dr. Christina Edmondson, says resurrection for me is about power, it's about purpose, and it's about promise. And I want that to kind of lead some of our thoughts this morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 20. I'll be reading the first 10 verses. We'll also have it up front for you to follow along as well. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. 
So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand, though, from Scripture, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Let's pray together. A God of power, a God of purpose, a God of promise. It is you we come through this morning. Grateful for your power over injustice, over violence, over death, over oppression, over sin, over darkness. Grateful for the purpose that you so loved us, that you so loved this world, that you sent your son for us. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that your purpose wasn't your will, but your father's will to be done. And we thank you that going to Calvary's tree, that you died on the cross for us that it wasn't some cosmic beating or some wrath simply being poured out, but it was love conquering darkness. It was you triumphing over sin. It was we who were once far, now making it possible to bring us near. But we also thank you for the promise of resurrection and the hope that it brings. So we celebrate this morning because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that now lives in us. The same love that Jesus had for the world is the same love he compels us to have. And that hope that those who have gone before, yes, that all of us, yes, will one day be reunited with you. It's why we gather and say Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen? This morning, as we think about the empty tomb, we have to kind of walk the road to Calvary. And before we get to that tomb, we started off last week talking about how Jesus goes to, to Bethany and how he's anointed at Bethany. And he goes from Bethany to Palm Sunday. And we talked about how this, this blessed king enters into Jerusalem. He enters as the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior, but he leaves condemned and as a criminal as he's shoved out of the city, betrayed, hunted, arrested, beaten, suffered, and crucified. How the King of kings and the Lord of lords becomes our suffering servant. How he gave himself for the world. Not his will, but his Father's will be done. And as we went through the week, we remembered Monday Thursday in the Last Supper, where we not only washed each other's feet, but we're reminded of the sacrificial love of Jesus that compels all of us as we live. Challenging us, do we live to put each other first? Do we live the example of Jesus to serve one another? Are we willing to get even the dirt between our toes of one another? Are we willing to humbly bow down to one another, to get on our knees for one another, to wash each other's feet, not just physically, but metaphorically and with our lives. Because if we believe that on earth as it is in heaven is our example, and if we believe that Jesus is our model, then that's how we live this life. And on that Monday, Thursday, we remembered that at the Last Supper, he institutes communion to remind us that, yes, this bread is my body, and it'll be broken for you and the world. Yes, this cup 
It's my cup. It's my blood. And it will be shed for you and the world. And the servant of God who becomes the suffering servant is the one who compels us to love. And after that, we went to Gethsemane and Good Friday, where Jesus physically has to be strengthened by angels. Because it's not just knowing it's going to happen, but it's accepting it's going to happen. It's not just knowing what has to be done, but having the peace of God to do what has to be done. And it's the angels coming to him. And I love these examples because I think we we think of Jesus as too automatic sometimes. He died on the cross, but it wasn't that easy. The God of the universe, who knew he had to die, still needed to be strengthened, still needed his Father's strength and comfort and peace, should inspire you and give you peace for whatever you have to face. Because Jesus knew what had to happen, but until he accepted it, until he said, not my will, but your will be done, until the angels took the sweat that was like drops of blood, the writer says, and gave him that strength, he couldn't do the will of God. But once he accepted it, then the lack of automatic, it it continues because he doesn't just die. First, he's humiliated for us. He's dressed up like a fake king. They kneel before him sarcastically, mockingly. They beat him and call it a scepter. They yell at him. If you are the God of this universe, show your power and come down. And remember what Jesus reminds the disciples in Gethsemane. I have power right now to command legions of angels to come down right now. And on the cross, they bow before him and they mock him. Show your power and come down. But Jesus felt and never was truly forsaken. Because we believe that God is three in one. We believe that Father, Son, and Spirit are one. So though he feels forsaken, we know that the father never turned his face away. We know that the father never left him alone. We know that if God is three in one, that it's not just Jesus on the cross by himself, but the spirit giving him power, but the father giving him comfort. And so this Jesus, who feeling forsaken, still choosing to rely on God, still choosing to trust God, still choosing to say, God, I place my life in your hands, is the Jesus we worship. For when we do feel forsaken, and maybe we are forsaken this morning, our God is still with us. Our God is still carrying us. Our God is still comforting us. Our God is still with us. And then for most of us as Christians, We go through Good Friday, and we run to Easter, Resurrection, Sunday morning. But I have to confess, this Lent has felt more Lent than ever before for me. It's felt more heavy than ever before. It's felt more more dark than ever before. And yesterday, with a quiet house, I was reminded not of the resurrection to come, but what it means to still be in the grave. Now, every April is an existential crisis because I'm now of an age where I've lived longer than my father ever lived. But this year, I thought about what does it mean to still be in the grave? 
I thought of my friend Tim, who's one of the most brilliant people I ever knew, who taught me about saints and, and taught me about the church fathers and church mothers. And he was always, uh, always excited to say, listen, we get it wrong as Western Christians. But think about it. It's not just we have these cards and we pray to them, but it's a reminder that we are not alone, that those who have gone before, they pray for us. And I thought about how Tim, united with his Savior, has joined those saints and now prays for me. I thought about Holy Saturday and the quiet of the grave. And I thought about how we were going to resurrect and celebrate resurrection this morning. But how for many of us, we are still in the grave. It's still heavy. It's still hard. We're still broken. We still feel forsaken. We still feel alone. But praise God for his power. Praise God for his promise. Praise God for the resurrection. Because resurrection comes. Hope lives. More than hope, our Jesus lives again. And this God of power seeks out Mary Magdalene, and very early in the morning, when it's still dark outside, she goes to the empty tomb. I want us to not miss the significance of Mary, because in that culture and context, they took grieving seriously. In our culture and context, we don't know how to deal with grief. I said to a friend this week, it feels like grief is the, the constant stranger that you just can't shake, right? It comes in waves and waves, and, and even good times can remind you of grief, and bad times can remind you of grief, and it just never seems to, to be something we shake. But while we live in a culture that wants us to push down our grief or forget our grief or leave our grief there, the ancients lived in a culture where they took time to express their grief. When they grieved for seven days, they stopped working, which I'm like, well, that part's good. They stopped showering, which your people you live with might not think is good. But they focused on getting it all out. And so for seven days, they just focus on celebrating, but also grieving the person who's gone. But on the third day, it was also customary that someone would be chosen or someone would step up to go and care for the body. And I don't want us to miss that when God moves in the Old Testament and new, it is quite often the use of women. And I think that's a very intentional thing. And I don't think I'm trying to start gender wars. I'm just trying to preach scripture. But the Old Testament doesn't happen. The greatest thing that happens in the Old Testament is God lifting his people out of slavery. God choosing his people not by genetics or, or hereditary, but choosing them by faith. But Moses doesn't happen without Shipra and Pua saving them Hebrew babies, right? And gaslighting a king and saying, yeah, you know them babies, they come too early. Can't stop it. Moses doesn't happen without Miriam protecting him, without Jochebed, his mother, serving not only as nanny, but helping him straddle between prince of Egypt and child of slavery and giving him the knowledge of Yahweh. Moses doesn't happen without an Egyptian princess saying, this one will be one of mine. And that's who God uses to save the people. And I think inarguably, the most important thing that happens 
in the New Testament, in the life and faith of the Christian, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because everyone dies, but not all had been raised from the dead. And we focus so much on the cross. We wear our crosses, right? We tattoo our crosses, some of us, right? But I wish we knew that it's not just that he died, but that he rose from the grave. And I think it's an intentional thing of God that in a culture that said women, you do not have a voice that matters. That in a culture that said women, you're only of value to the man closest to you. That in a culture that said women, you don't matter enough. God says, no, when I'm ready to move, it's my daughters I'll choose. And so Mary Magdalene is the one who's chosen. And one of the greatest tragedies of the church is that most of us who grew up in church grew up calling Mary Magdalene everything but what she actually is. And that is the first apostle of Jesus Christ. She's the one who John says gets to the tomb. She's the one who gets there to maybe prepare the body. She's the one on that new day who sees the empty tomb and goes and tells others about it. She's the one who will find out later in the chapter who Jesus first greets. So of all the names that they call Mary Magdalene this morning on this Resurrection Sunday, can we call her an apostle? Because that's who God created and chose her to be. And it's her witness that brings us here today because she went back not for fear, but because she thought they really stole her king. So she goes back and she tells the disciples, and they run with purpose, right? Peter takes off. John takes off. He's a little bit younger, so he gets there earlier. But like the young one, when he gets there, he's like, you know what? Maybe we'll wait till Peter shows up. And Peter, in all his Peterness, rushes right in. It doesn't shock you. You're reading the story, you're like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, Peter, yeah, he, that's what he does, right? But as they enter in, they see that Jesus hasn't been taken. You'll have to remember that it's John's gospel that tells the story of Lazarus. And when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, remember Lazarus still came out wrapped up in linens. He still had his grave clothes, and Jesus commanded them to go and take his grave clothes off. But when they enter the empty tomb, they don't just see no Jesus, but they see the grave clothes almost as if someone had been snatched right up out of it. And I love that as they see these linens, it is John, the disciple that Jesus loved. It is John, Jesus' best friend. It is John who's become a brother to Jesus. As on Calvary Street, he says, John, Mary, that is your son. Mary, John, that is your mother. It is this John who sees it and believes. But the scripture says something interesting here. And we had a similar thing happen on Palm Sunday. That though they saw and though John believed, they still didn't get it all. And that should give you a little bit of hope and a little bit of grace, right? That God doesn't expect you to know it all and see it all as it's all happening. But he does expect you to see and believe. He does expect you to meet him where he meets you. And so this promise of Jesus' resurrection is revealed. The disciples see, they believe, and they do not understand. And I think that's an interesting definition of faith, right? See, believe, even if you do not understand fully. 
And then something interesting happens. At the end of chapter 10, it says this. It's just one phrase. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And I thought about that. Because the rest of Genesis, or <laughs> the rest of John chapter 20, you see a personal Jesus. You see this God who's resurrected for the whole world. But you see him come to comfort Mary Magdalene, his apostle. You see him come and commission her to go and tell what she has seen and go and tell that he had been risen from the dead to go and tell everyone. But you also see a Jesus who shows up to his disciples, first to bring them peace in the midst of confusion, in the midst of sadness and grief. And you see a Jesus who breathes on them and says, the Holy Spirit be upon you. But you also see a Jesus who doesn't run from doubt, right? I love that we still call him Doubting Thomas, as if we're done with all our doubting. I love how we call him Doubting Thomas, like what he's proposing is something wild, right? Like he's just like, listen, y'all trying to tell me he's risen from the dead. I just want to see it, right? And I love that we call him Doubting Thomas and ignore our own doubts. But I love the message of doubt that Jesus teaches here, that your doubt isn't bigger than your Jesus, that your doubt doesn't have to be bigger than your faith, and that your doubt may even be able to lead to faith, because where you doubt, Thomas, Jesus shows up. And in the midst of that doubt, Jesus goes to Thomas, and even though with Mary Magdalene, he says, your job is to go and tell. But Thomas, your job is to look and see. See the wounds. See what I endured for you. See that I have died, but I'm here for you. And then John 20 ends with the purpose of this gospel, where John says, I have written these things. There's so much more that's been done that I could talk about, but I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the promised one, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, but not just believe so that you may have life in his name. The significance of the resurrection is that, yes, Jesus in the gospel predicts his death and resurrection. Is that, yes, we see the witness of angels, whether in Gethsemane, at Calvary, or the tomb. Is that, yes, the tomb is empty, that sin and death has been defeated once and for all, injustice and oppression defeated once and for all. The gospels and Acts tells us that the risen Jesus spends 40 days, over 500 people saw him, right? So a lot of people say that, like, well, maybe it was just a vision, right? They all made it up. Have you ever tried to get 500 people to all have the same story? I have two little girls. I'm still working on two. Have you ever gotten 500 people to die for the same story too? Because this isn't just something they were willing to show and tell. This is something that many died for. And this witness of these 500, the transformation of Simon to become Peter, of Saul to become Paul, of Mary Magdalene to become the voice who goes and tells. The reaction of the soldiers who wouldn't lie and they're paid to even deny. The great commission of the risen Jesus who says, listen, I need you to go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and showing them everything I've taught you. Why? Because I am with you now and to the end of the age. The same transformation that lives in you. Hopefully all of us can have a before Jesus entered into my life how Jesus has transformed me, and where Jesus is taking me.
And so that transformation, as you've moved from death to life, as you move from, from loss to victory, from being outsider to the family of God, family with Jesus. But I think the significance of the resurrection for me this morning has been caught on that last phrase. And I want to read it again. After they see Jesus in the tomb, though they saw and believed and didn't understand everything, the disciples went back to where they were staying. We're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday today. We're going to gather with friends and family, maybe. We're going to hold on to the fact that Christ is risen. It's cool. You're still in the grave. We're going to celebrate that Christ is risen. There you go. But after the celebration, we go back to where we were. And there's a message in that. Because it's not just what we see and what we celebrate, it's how we live in our everyday scenes. When you go back to where you are, how is resurrection true to you? One of my favorite um, scholars is a lady by the name of Shelley Brown Douglas. She's a theologian and soccer. Uh, she's a theologian and, and, and scholar, and she says this: Galilee, home. When you go back, it's where you really see God, and you feel the presence of God. Because I felt, I felt the presence of God and my hope was reawakened. And that's the resurrection hope. Hope is a signal of transcendence, but hope is always an active thing. As the resurrection is an active thing, it required people to move and to go back to their Galilee and to recommit themselves to the ministry of Jesus. Believe, really believe, hope can be a reality. Believe enough to fight for it. And that to me is what hope. It's what hope looks like. That is what resurrection hope looks like because it calls you to life so that we can partner together in creating new life. Celebrate that Christ is risen. But when you go home to Galilee, when you go home to where you call home, when you go home to your everyday scenes, are you willing to partner with God to bring new life? Because this God of resurrection, this God of power and purpose and promise, Dr. Christina Edmondson says this one, God is powerful enough to raise that which is dead to life again. He does this most beautifully and triumphantly in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But also things, don't need that, but also things that are dead in me, that are dead to God, that are dead in this world, the power of God can bring it to life purpose that God can take our pain and suffering and he can repurpose it it doesn't mean that our pain and suffering are good things don't get that twisted but God can work all those things together for our good for his glory and this is again shown beautifully and triumphantly in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we can go back home to Galilee with promise why because Christ got up and she says this, I, for one, one day will get up in him too. We, the church, one day will rise with him too. I look at Christ, who is the head of the church, because he is risen. We will rise too. Amen. And so as we prepare to leave, as we think about resurrection, 
I want us to answer, what is God asking us to believe? Do you believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you who believe? Do you believe that our God is able to bring dead things back to life? Not just dead people, but dead relationships. Not just Jesus on the cross or, or Jesus on Sunday morning, but you where you are right now. Do you believe that those things that have died can have new life in Christ? What does the resurrection compel you to share? Do you believe that God doesn't take joy in your pain and suffering? That God doesn't say, I, you know, when you suffer, now you're closer to me. Or when you suffer, you're, you're more close to me. But God says, no, 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 I'm with you in your suffering. I'm carrying you in your suffering. I'm holding you in your suffering. I'm with you as you suffer. But if you trust me, if you rely on me, if you come to me, I will not only hold you, I will not only carry you, but I will redeem your pain and suffering. And I will use it not just for my good, but for the good of the kingdom. What does the resurrection compel hope in you? Do you believe that Christ got up? And if you do believe that Christ got up, do you believe it's time his church gets up too? That we not just stay on Good Friday, that we not just stay dead on Saturday morning, but if Christ got up on Sunday morning, do you believe it's time for us to get up too, to show our world what love looks like, what hope looks like, what mercy looks like, what forgiveness looks like? It's time that we get up. But lastly, do you hold on to the joy the resurrection brings? Because what I love about our Jesus is that his victory over injustice, over oppression, over sin, over darkness, over destruction is not just his victory, but through the grace of our God and Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he makes it our victory too. Christ is risen. We're getting there. Christ is risen. Christ is, Christ is risen. Are you willing to get up? Are you willing to join God in creating new life? It's not enough to say our world is dead. God wants you to make new life with him. It's not enough to say our world is in darkness. God wants you to bring light. It's not enough for us to say the world is not as it should be because God has chosen you to make the world what it could be in Christ Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen Amen. 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 I'd like to invite up the worship team as we sing our final song. Um, I'd like to invite any of the pastors in the room as well to kind of gather up front. Um, it is Resurrection Sunday, and we want to kind of invite you to not only sing this song together, but if there's anything that you want us to join you in prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. If there's anything maybe in the, 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 the service this morning that, that you want to pray for, we'd love to pray for you. But as we sing this song, may we be reminded that the joy of this morning is that the God of all power now chooses to let his power reside in you. That a God of all promise now chooses to make you the promise of the world with his son, Jesus Christ. That a God of all peace has chosen you to be his peacemakers to the world. But the God of all purpose has purposed it that the risen Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, now reigns. Not just in the world to come, 
but in the world we live in now. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and sing together.